Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East and this grand and glorious day that the Lord has made, the season of our Lord's resurrection, the Paschal season. I have a funny story about the way we greet each other in my church. As you know, we greet each other by saying, Christ is risen, and you respond, indeed, he is risen. Well, one day recently, my secretary was working at her desk, and the phone rang, and she picked it up and did it the usual way that we do, a customary way during this time of year. She said, Christ is risen, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Can I help you? Well, it was a man from the Census Bureau, and he was looking around for a room to use to train other workers for the census. And he was wondering if we had a room available. We said, sure, just uh, let us know how to organize. He says, okay, I'll fax you the necessary forms. So he faxes us the forms to fill out. And on the top of the form where it says name of organization, he wrote, The Christ is Risen Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. So let there be no doubt that we are definitely a parish of the resurrection. Just kind of a funny story how sometimes people interpret things. And that is how we greet each other. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. I'd like to let you know about a few very important and very significant events coming up, one of which is the Illinois Catholic Prayer Breakfast, and I am a newly appointed spiritual director of this event, so I'd like to have a lot of you come on out, especially if you listen to our program, come on out, especially if you are members of the Eastern Churches. We'd like to see a lot of you there. There's usually good representation. It's Illinois Catholic Prayer Breakfast, and they really do want to have a representation of the whole church, East and West, in other words, both lungs of the church. And you can find out about that by going to their website, IllinoisCatholicBreakfast.com. The date is April 30th, Friday, April 30th. Illinois Catholic Prayer Breakfast. Our good friend, Bishop Salvatore Cordiglione, who is now the ordinary for the Diocese of Oakland, California, will be the guest speaker. Well worth it. So consider that. IllinoisCatholicBreakfast.com, April 30th, 2010. Also, at my parish of Annunciation on June 5th, between 1 and 4 p.m., we're going to have a seminar, a workshop, by the Colby Center for the Study of Creation. And it's going to cover all kinds of the hot questions about creation and evolution. And you can find out about that by staying tuned to our website, byzantinecatholic.com, byzantinecatholic.com, or you can also find out by going to taborlife.org, taborlife.org. More information will be following, but I just wanted you to mark your calendar for that. June 5th. 
2010, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. The Colby Center will put on a Creation, Evolution, and Crisis of Faith seminar. That's 1 to 4 p.m. I'd like to also say hello to some of our avid listeners and friends who have written to us lately out in various parts of our listening audience, such as in the Michigan area. I'd like to acknowledge Jim from Bay City, Michigan. Thank you, Jim, for sending your kind letter to us, and thanks above all for listening. That's Jim out in Bay City, Michigan. And all of you in the Michigan area, as well as our, some of our newer members who are, who are tuning in from different parts of the country, some of you from uh, Michigan, as I mentioned, but also from out in Arizona and California, thank you again for all your letters. We love hearing from you. We've all grown up with the phrase, go west, young man. Today on Alive the East, we're going to face east. We're going to go east, young man and ladies and everyone. And we're going to look at why it is in the east, many of the eastern churches, why the priest faces, along with the people, primarily throughout the liturgy, faces the altar. Notice I said he faces the altar. I didn't say he has his back to the people. Although it might amount to the same thing, it's a whole different way of expressing it. There's two different ways that are very different in expressing it. You get a whole different sense by the way you say this. The priest and the people all face the same way. In other words, in Eastern churches, primarily this means we all face east. In the West, especially in recent times, they've been using the phrase ad orientum. In other words, towards the Orient, towards the East. And there's a reason for this in both the East and Western churches. We're going to look at why it changed in the Western church in recent history. And we're going to bring some perspective to that with the help of the Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who now, of course, is Pope Benedict XVI, in his wonderful book called The Spirit of the Liturgy. But first, a little explanation about the layout of the Eastern churches and Eastern liturgy. See, the one thing to understand about the Eastern churches, part of the genius of the Eastern churches, the gift of the Eastern church, is its sense of integration. In other words, Everything is interdependent. Everything works together. I one time heard it said, in speaking with an Eastern Catholic priest friend of mine, I one time heard it said that the Eastern liturgy is kind of like, in a sense, like opera. Not that it's theatrical, but in a sense that opera involves everything. You know, lights, action, costumes, brilliant singing, performance, orchestra, the whole ambiance, everything. It throws, it, in a sense, it draws upon all the aspects of the art. It involves dancing. It involves the visual arts, sound. Everything is drawn upon to produce what is this perhaps highest of the arts, and that is opera. Well, the Eastern liturgy is something like that. It kind of requires all the lights, action, camera, sound, let's go kind of type of thing. Not that it's theatrical, but it is Similar to theater in the sense that it uses many, many parts that appeals to all of our senses. And the idea is that it immerses us into an experience. In other words, we're participating, entering into another reality. So we want to do many things that will help bring about that sense, that immersion into another reality. And very important to that cause is the very direction, the orientation, as it were, of how the worshiper is in the church and how the church is designed. In most Eastern churches, the church is designed with a kind of a surround sound or surround visual, as it were. In other words, there is usually iconography from floor to ceiling throughout the entire church. So no matter where you look around, in a sense, you can't get distracted at the liturgy. A lot of times people confess to me, gee, Father, I get distracted at prayer during liturgy. A lot of times I tell them, well, especially if you're in a full-blown Eastern church, in a sense, you almost can't get distracted. You're sort of like a pinball. You sort of bounce around, but you still stay within the imagery, which of course points us to heaven. 
heaven. So in a sense, you're always focused, just maybe in a kind of a scattered way, toward what is heaven. You almost can't avoid it because it's all around you. The angels and the saints and Christ and the Virgin Mary and saint scenes in the Bible are all around you. And if you sort of daydream or look around a bit, it's okay. And then you can come back to focus. But there's no one particular place you focus on in an Eastern church. It's kind of being immersed in a kind of a drama, a, a venue in which you actually are looking at every direction and you're experiencing something from every direction and with all of your senses. Now, there is a certain special point, and that is, of course, up front where the sanctuary is. And the sanctuary and the nave are separated usually by a structure called the icon screen. Beyond the icon screen is considered the Holy of Holies. Only the ordained ministers and servers go in and out of that icon screen. It usually has three sets of doors on it. And the altar is behind that screen as well. Now, the priest stands at that altar facing that altar, not facing the people. In other words, he's facing the east. Generally, the eastern churches try to be laid out facing east. In fact, this was the tradition of all Christian churches for many, many centuries. And ideally, it is still that way. Especially Catholic and Orthodox churches are to ideally faced east, so that as we're praying, we're facing east. In other words, the east where the rising sun is, and also because Christ is referred to as the Orient from on high, in other words, the one who comes from the east. So we face east as a general direction of of worship. And ideally, if churches can be set that way, they're to be done architecturally, constructed, so they face east as well. Now, in facing east, We're all facing the same way, meaning we're all pilgrims. We're all en route to the same direction. We have the same destiny. In Eastern churches, this is very clear. In the Western church, it was this way for a long time, until recent decades. Western Catholics might remember the so-called communion rail, which was a barrier between the nave, where the congregation was, and the sanctuary, where the priest and servers only went, just as it is in the Eastern churches. Well, the Eastern churches retained this setup, this structure. It has been retained in parts in the Western church since the Second Vatican Council, but for the most part, the custom has been to change that configuration. They kind of did away with that barrier and made the layout of the church, of the mass, a little bit more what we might call circular or communal. There's less zones, as it were, in the Western church today, for the most part. Now, the orientation, as I mentioned, was actually towards the east and towards the altar on the part of both churches, both lungs of the church, east and west, for a very long time. And this is very significant, and I think it's one of those geniuses of the church that brings an a certain relevant dimension, something that is essential for our time. You see, what this does is it puts us in a posture of acknowledging first and foremost a transcendent God, that what we're focusing on first and foremost is not one another or anything else, but God himself. In other words, we're pointed in the direction of God and sort of an expectation of God. We're sort of offering ourselves to God, we're moving towards him, and we're also facing the direction he will be coming towards us. You know, he is like the bridegroom Christ coming to wed his bride during the liturgy. Now, we're going to talk more about the significance of the orientation of the church and the worshiper, including the priest, in the liturgy when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's Reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. 
You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Daughters of St. Paul sponsor a monthly study group on the theology of the body. The discussions are led by Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. Every second Saturday during the month at Pauline Books and Media, 172 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, from 10.30 until 12 noon Central Time. Simultaneously and interactively video streamed live online. As you know, we are concerned about the sacramental liturgical worldview as delivered by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. For more information, go to daughtersofstpaul.com or call 312-346-4228. Welcome back to our program here on Alive the East, in which we're not going west, young man, but rather we are facing east. We are going towards God, and God is coming towards us in the liturgy, which is ingeniously expressed in the very layout and rhythm of the liturgy, especially in the eastern churches, in most eastern churches. Now, as I mentioned, there was this barrier between the sanctuary and the nave, and everyone faces east. They all face the altar, including the priest, for most of the liturgy. But at the same time, we bring in a complementary element, and this is another one of the geniuses of the Eastern Church in his liturgy. It always uses complementary phenomena that sort of come together and sort of meet. It's sort of like a kind of a play on paradox. At the same time that we face east, and our way is in a sense barred into the Holy of Holies, where the altar is, except for the ordained ministers, at the same time, the liturgy comes from behind the icon screen at times, at certain times, towards and amongst the people. And there's a kind of a rhythm of this back and forth during the liturgy. For the most part, we face east in Eastern liturgies, as did the West in most of its history. But there's also this rhythm with what is behind the icon screen, in other words, in the Holy of Holies, a sanctuary, will at times come out and be immersed or unite with what is in the nave of the church, but only at certain times. If you noticed in Eastern liturgies, this happens at the most holy times, as it were. In other words, when there's an action of Christ the bridegroom coming to his bride, to in a sense plant a seed, to make himself intimate and present among his people, among his bride. In other words, it works like this. The priest is facing the altar. We're all facing east along with the priest in the Eastern liturgies. But he turns towards the people or even comes out among the people at certain moments, such as 
to give a blessing, which is not his blessing, but rather he's delivering the blessing of Christ, to read proclaim the word of God by reading the gospel and by delivering the homily, by distributing Holy Communion or by incensing the people, in other words, using incense. These are the holiest moments in which something is brought to the people. After that, though, or other than that, the priest, along with the people, because he is a sinner like them, a pilgrim like them, all the times he is facing the same way as the people. Or he might say he has his back to the people, but that's not really an accurate way to look at it, even though that's maybe physically what happens. But the attitude is not back to the people. The attitude, rather, is facing the same way as the people. Now, this, I think, is extremely relevant for our world today because it restores that sense of a God who is greater than us, that it's not just about us. Liturgy itself, especially, is not just about us. It's not about the priest. It's about anything except God himself, first and foremost, and our transformation into that image of God. This is the purpose of liturgy, is to transform us as we touch, we come into communion with that transcendent God. As we reach towards him, he reaches down to us. Again, there's that sort of like paradox, that complementarity. That's very much the essential rhythm of the liturgy. It also gives us a sense then of a God who is transcendent, but also very imminent. God who has come down to us. In other words, with this infinite mercy, he has dared to, as the Eastern Fathers say, condescend, to empty himself, to lower himself, to actually become his own creation, to become one of us, one of lowly us while still remaining that transcendent God. Again, there's that great sense of mystery again. Two paradoxical concepts. A transcendent God, who at the same time becomes imminent. So God is very beyond us, very awesome. I must approach him that way at all times. At the same time, he is so intimate with us. We can have an intimate relationship with him. And the liturgy brings us into that reality of God. It's not either or. He's not just remote, way up there, distant from us, nor is he just our buddy standing there, basically not much different than us. He is one of us, yet he is beyond us all at the same time. And this, through the liturgy, through the very land of the church, our orientation in the liturgy, how we actually posture ourselves, ushers us into this fundamental reality of life and of our relationship with God. And it makes a lot of difference in our lives if we can have that orientation. It affects how we look at anything in life. You know, we have a tendency in our day and age to want to be casual about everything. But if you're standing in a church that's oriented in such a way as to bring you into a deep sense of the transcendence, you know, the intimacy of God, you can't be casual about that, either in liturgy or out of liturgy. In other words, you extend what is in liturgy to your life, to every aspect of your life, because you are immersed in that vision by means of the very structure and layout and action rhythm of the liturgy itself. Now, I mentioned this is one of the great geniuses of the Eastern Church. However, this is also shared to a large degree by the Western Church. I know those of you who are Western Christians, in particular Latin Rite Catholics, especially in the last 40 to 50 years, have had a different experience of the Mass. You've had a Mass in which the priest, is, by and large, is facing the people. Well, I'm going to read a couple quotes from a great book by Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, who now, of course, is Pope Benedict XVI. It's called The Spirit of the Liturgy. And he comments on that turning around of the altar. He says, The turning of the priest towards the people has turned the community into a self-enclosed circle. In its outward form, it no longer opens out on what lies ahead and above, but is closed in on itself. The common turning toward the east was not a celebration toward the wall. It did not mean that the priest, quote, had his back to the people, unquote. The priest himself was not regarded as so important. 
For just as the congregation in the synagogue looked together toward Jerusalem, so in the Christian liturgy, the congregation looked together toward the Lord. As one of the fathers of Vatican II's constitution on the liturgy, J.A. Jungman, put it, it was much more a question of the priest and people facing in the same direction, knowing that together they were in a procession toward the Lord. They did not close themselves into a circle. They did not gaze at one another. But as the pilgrim people of God, they set off for the Oriens, for the Christ who comes to meet us. But is this not all romanticism and nostalgia for the past? Can the original form of Christian prayer still say something to us today? Or should we try to find our own form, a form for our own times? Well, Conor Ratzinger continues, Of course we cannot simply replicate the past. Every age must discover and express the essence of the liturgy anew. The point is to discover this essence amid all the changing appearances. It would surely be a mistake to reject all the reforms of our century wholesale. When the altar was very remote from the faithful, it was right to move it back to the people. In cathedrals, this made it possible to recover the tradition of having the altar at the crossing, the meeting point of the nave and the presbyterium. It was also important clearly to distinguish the place for the liturgy of the word from the place of the properly Eucharistic liturgy. For the liturgy of the word is about speaking and responding. And so a face-to-face exchange between proclaimer and hearer does make sense. In the psalm, the hearer internalizes what he has heard, takes it into himself, and transforms it into prayer, so that it becomes a response. On the other hand, a common turning to the east during the Eucharistic prayer remains essential. This is not a case of something accidental, but of what is essential. Looking at the priest has no importance. What matters is looking together at the Lord. It is not now a question of dialogue, but of common worship, of setting off toward the one who is to come. What corresponds with the reality of what is happening is not the closed circle, but the common movement forward, expressed in a common direction for prayer. This book is a wonderful articulation of exactly what the title of the book says, The Spirit of the Liturgy. In other words, what really is the spirit of liturgy? What is the true orientation of it? And what really did Vatican II expect out of both the East and Western churches in regard to their liturgies? Well, as Cardinal Ratzinger, the now present Pope, said in, in this book, as you just heard, that facing the people was part of the liturgy, definitely, during certain times. But together facing east, facing the altar, facing God, facing our ultimate destiny, as like the wise virgins who awaited the coming of the bridegroom, that posture is essential to the liturgy, and especially to the Eucharistic prayer, in other words, the holiest moments of the liturgy. In the Byzantine liturgy, we call the Eucharistic prayer the anaphora, which means the the offering. This critical time is definitely a time which we're focusing together as one body on Christ and no longer so much on each other or even just on the Word of God, but now on His very presence made real to us as He comes to us. The bridegroom comes to unite Himself with His bride mystically on that altar in the form of bread and wine. There is a very... Real reason why the church says Eucharist is the source and summit of our existence? Because from Eucharist and the proper orientation of liturgy toward the Eucharist, we actually find the proper orientation to everything in life. That's why liturgy is life. In the Eastern Church, we always say, live the liturgy. Live the liturgy. Live in your daily life what you see and experience in liturgy. In that sense of Facing the transcendent one, facing in praise and adoration with expectation, 
the bridegroom Christ who comes to us to wed his bride. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer. Thank you for listening on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>